I think we can all tell that there is something going on, right, with the practices of religion. Hey, real quick before we go anything further, Jim, if you want a copy, uh, Ron has two copies. Uh, he's got an extra copy back there. You just sort through the pile. Pardon me. Um, I think we can all tell that something is going on with the practices of religion in uh, not only in America, but probably across the world. And by that, I mean, we, we sense that generally the practice of religion has been declining. Uh, and, and you just can take, for example, peace as an example. You know, you go back 10 years, 30% of the people who attended, attended three times or more per month. And now, 10 years later, about 15% of people attend three times or more per month. Now, that's not saying it's right or it's wrong. It's just saying there's been a change. 15 fewer percent of people think it's important to be here three times a month. Maybe twice a month is okay. Maybe once a month is okay, but not three times or more per month. And that's just one example. Uh, you, you take something like communion and communion-related practices. We were talking about this with some of the, the council the other week. We have had the practice of communion check-in, and we were talking about whether or not it is a good thing to do. And we talked about where did that come from, uh, how maybe a hundred years ago, maybe not even that many, maybe some of you even still remember, it was regular practice to go to the pastor on the day before communion or perhaps even the Thursday or Friday before and to tell the pastor, hey, we are going to have communion this Sunday. Uh, and it was supposed to be an encouragement that way for you to prepare yourself. Uh, and that has come out of a practice, if you go back a couple hundreds of years, where you would actually have a, a private meeting with your pastor or with a lay person, somebody else from the church, to make sure you were properly prepared before you received the Lord's Supper. So all of that, I think, would tell us, hey, look, we've gone from having a private meeting days before to make sure that our hearts are properly prepared to receive the Lord's Supper and the assurance of the forgiveness of our sins to checking our name off of a list. It seems like quite a, a change, doesn't it? Or you even take the, the question of fasting. You know, historically, the practice of fasting was a key religious practice. Who fasts anymore except for medical reasons or for mental health? Nobody fasts for religious reasons. All of which is to illustrate for us that the practice of religion has changed significantly and probably in many people's minds would say has declined in the last however many years you want to call it. But we are far from, it's easy to think, right, that we're like the first people to have this issue. We're far from the first people to, to think through this, to have to experience this. You go back to the founding of this nation, maybe one in five people uh, actually went to church. There's all that debate about uh, whether or not America was a Christian nation, and we're not even going to go into that. People have, have thoughts on that. But what is for sure is about one in five people actually practiced Christianity by going to church. The, the process of, or the time of people, like one in three, one in two going to church, that came much later in American life. And American history, 200 years ago, is certainly not the first time to illustrate such little practice of Christianity or of religious beliefs. And you can hear it in today's lesson. Did you hear what Isaiah said about the people? He said, you have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings. You have not honored me with your sacrifices. You have not brought any fragrant calamus for me and or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. What's that sound like to you? 
I hear the Israelites did not practice their religion. They didn't do it. And in fact, that is what we get from other authors as well. And so our author, John Brown, summarizes this time in Israelite history, and he says about it, during the early part of Isaiah's ministry, so this is like the 700s B.C., both Judah and Israel enjoyed such peace and prosperity. Military success brought them optimism, confidence in the status quo, economic prosperity, and luxury, but also it had its negative side. The nation God had chosen was not interested in spiritual matters. Oppression, injustice, reliance on foreign alliances all found places right next to religious hypocrisy and formalistic worship. What's that all mean? The, the Israelites were not practicing their religious practices. We're far from the first people to go through this experience. And today then we want to see, well, what's God going to say to them? And what's God say to us? as we work through a change in our own religious practices. And what's he going to do about it? Let's hear that. Let's go right to it. Because he tells us in these words, he says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator. This is what the Lord says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people. So what was God's answer for this decline in religious practices? It was, see, forget the former things. Don't dwell in the past. I am doing a new thing. I am doing a new thing. That was God's answer for all of this change in religious practices. I am doing a new thing. Now, think about how different and how really, really great this is. We know that God has different ways of responding to his people. He does different things. We hear as Jesus begins his ministry, the message that Jesus brought was not, I'm a new thing. It was, repent. Repent, because the kingdom of God is near. If you read the Bible and you read how God responds with his people, his main interaction, his main message to people is always that. Repent, the kingdom of God is near. But that's not the only way. Sometimes God interacts with his people by telling them he's going to take his kingdom away from them. If, if you give up on religious life with him, he'll take it away from you. He told Saul, he said, Saul, because you have put yourself up as a leader, not just done your job as king, but you have become a spiritual, pretended to be a spiritual leader, I'm going to rip the kingdom away from you. Jesus told the religious leaders of, the, of Israel, he said to them, look, the kingdom is taken away from you and it is given to people who will bear fruit. Right? That's the second thing that God has done. Sometimes he just takes the kingdom away from people. Oftentimes, God will simply put up with, patiently put up with, you might even say tolerate, the bad religious practices of people. So Jesus one time says, Oh, Israel, Israel, how long will I have to put up with your unbelief? Bring the child to me. How long will I have to put up with you? See, these are three things, and I'm sure there's more if you wanted to think about it, about how God deals with us when we 
give up on him. But you know what? Sometimes he says, it's not about you. Let's do a new thing. Let's do this new thing. And, and he has done that before. He came to his people when they were slaves in Egypt and he said, Moses, I'm sending you to the king of Egypt so that you can lead my people up out of Egypt. He told Jeremiah, while the people were in Babylon, I am doing a new thing. I will put me and my people back together. And then right here, what is this new thing he's talking about? He is going to cast down the Babylonians and turn those Gentiles into fugitives. And not only that, he is going to lead his people across the deserted lands and bring them into their homeland. That's the new thing. And God is not a, a traditionalist, somebody who says it has to be done the exact same way that we've always done it. No, in fact, did you hear what he said that new thing is going to be? He said, I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You know, I think this is, this is so great because Americans, we tend to think when you hear of, I'm going to do something new, well, that must mean it's, it's going to be better, right? It's just kind of slightly better than the old thing. I like to swim, and the other week I was at the plane while pool swimming a little bit, uh, and the director said, oh, when we get the new pool, because they're building a new pool over there, we're going to have a new management system. And I was instantly a little skeptical, because new doesn't always mean better. Uh, and so I said, really, tell me about it. Why are we doing that? And she said, well, there's this wrong and there's this wrong. And it's, it's basically they're doing the old thing, but hopefully a little better. But look at what God does. God says, it's not slightly new. I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Have you ever stood in a place where there is no water as far as your eye can see? Have you ever been in a real wasteland where you said to yourself, if I was here all by myself and it didn't rain for days, I would die. I've been there. I don't know what you think when you hear this, but to me it sounds like when I hear this, it sounds like God is not just doing something that's a little bit different but better than the old way. God's new thing is completely different. It's a new kind of thing. God is saying, I will take this old way and I will replace it with an entirely new way. And I, I can't help but think a little bit about the difference between a friendship that is, is based off of common interests and shared experience and, and a, a friendship that is based off of a covenant. You know, you and I, we have, hopefully, I hope you have friends, we hopefully have lots of friends from shared experiences, common interests, mutual understanding, people that we like to go and play games with and we go to the movies with and we, we hang out with when we're bored and we, we play cards and all this kind of thing. And, and those are wonderful friends and we should have those kinds of friends. But it, like, like me, I, I suspect your friends too, you've had those kinds of friends and after a while the friendship gets old, the friends go away, maybe you say something wrong, they get offended and they, they run away and the friendship falls apart and the friends come in and out of your life and they never stay. 
And that's okay. That's the way that that's kind of supposed to be. But those friendships always take work. You have to build those new friendships off of shared experiences and a common understanding. But you know how different a friendship based off of a covenant is? If you've, if you've been married or you've watched somebody who's gotten married, you can see what a friendship looks like when it's based off of a covenant. A man and a woman agree to love each other and stay together for their whole life. And you know then what a friendship starts to look like based off of a covenant. And I, I think about it every time I come home from a run because I, I like to run too a little bit and so I'll come home and I'll, I'll be listening to some story or a, a book when I come home and I come home to my wife and I say, guess what I thought about today? Blah, 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 blah. It's so exciting. Isn't this just great? And she says, wow, honey, I love it. Great insight, right? And she, we have no common interest there at all, no common understanding, but my wife is patient with me and she is committed to making our marriage be a great friendship. And I don't have to work for it. I don't have to force us to have all of these shared experiences so that we can keep a friendship. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have shared experiences. It means our friendship is based on something much deeper. And here's the point of the example. It's fine to have friendships based on common experiences and shared understanding. But just like a friendship that is based off of a covenant is so much greater and permanent, so also when God says to you and me, I'm doing a new thing, he's saying it was fine to have sacrifices that allowed you to ask for my forgiveness and be assured that I forgave you and you were blessed. But it is so much greater to have a relationship with me where I have made the sacrifice. God is imagining here the very moment when he will say, sitting at that table, this is the New Testament in my blood, the new covenant in my blood. On the night Jesus died, he said those words to his disciples to say, this is the new thing. I am going to make the sacrifice for you. You've gotten tired of making sacrifices. You've been bored with the old system. You aren't getting the forgiveness and the love and the approval you want, but this is me. This is the new thing. I will die. I will put out my life on this cross. And he wasn't talking in a metaphor, was he? It wasn't some fancy way of saying, oh, I'm sick and tired of reading this book to the kids for the thousandth time. He was saying, I will literally die like those millions of lambs were supposed to so that you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you are forgiven, you are accepted, and you're mine. Do you see, friends, how awesome this gospel message is? God has said that he would brace a relationship with you, a new start with you, no matter how much sin has filled your life, no matter how cruddy your past and all of your problems are, if you feel stuck with everything that you didn't get to accomplish, you feel tired and worn down with everything that you haven't seen come to pass, then you know exactly 
what God is saying to you when he says, I will do a new thing. He says, I will give you a new reason to have a relationship with me. You have not given to me, but I give to you. You have not sacrificed for me, but I sacrifice for you. This is the gospel, and there is nothing better. It doesn't matter how much we messed up our lives. God wants to do this new thing for you. He's doing a new thing for spiritually gone, spiritually lost people. You know, and I, I know, actually, I think I have a sense of how hard this is going to be for all of us. Right? A lot of people say, especially as they, they get older in life, they say, I don't like change, Pastor. I don't like new stuff. Let me give you a secret. Nobody likes change. Nobody likes change. I know the older people, they say it all that. Younger people don't like change either. Okay? Nobody likes change. But there's a total difference. There's a big difference between something new in your life because you've got a new toy or you've got a new gift, you've got a new game, you have a new job, and a new relationship that you have because somebody has walked into your life to stay. That's what God has said to you. I want you to imagine, whether you are, are, are married or not, that you have somebody in your life who said, I am here to stay and I will not go away. And you think when, when we ask all of these big questions about our lives, like why am I so filled with anguish? Why can't I feel forgiven? Why do I seem stuck and I can't get past all of my sins? Why do I have so many questions? Why can't I turn a new corner to a new life? God says, look, stop asking all the questions. Sometimes it's fine, but stop asking all of them for just one minute because I'm going to do a new thing. I have taken sin and replaced it with your salvation. I have taken what is broken and changed it for what is your blessing. I have changed, taken your death and given you a new destiny. This is a new thing. Friends, let God do this new thing for the spiritually gone and old you. Let's pray for that. Lord God, we know that we get stuck in our own pasts, not just our own failures, but also just the old way of, of doing things, the old way of relating to you, a life where we look to you based on all of the things we've done and accomplished. And we pray that you would do a new thing for us. Just like we experience a totally new life when we, we, bring, you bring some, we bring somebody into our lives, we pray that as you come into our lives, that we would walk in a new life with you. Do this new thing for us this year, Lord Jesus, and let us then know what it is to be truly new with you. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen.